If you will take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 13, we are, um, we're continuing our study. We're continuing our message series, Aiming for an Awakening. Last Wednesday night, we began with the notion of an awakening. This morning, the need for an awakening. And tonight, the neglect of an awakening. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Now, I told you that the third point this morning of that message was literally the introduction, not something I humanly planned. I guess it's something God planned because the truth is the message of Jesus to every saved person, the message of Jesus to every lost person, the message of Jesus to every church is very consistent. It is repent. When he began, I told you this morning, when he began his teaching ministry in Mark, Matthew chapter 4, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he continued, and we were going to get to the Revelation passage tonight, his message to five of the seven churches in Revelation was repent. And in the message that we'll read in a second, we get the message repent or else. Now you've heard Brother Terry and I mentioned many times an old North Carolina preacher named Vance Havner. Vance Havner had a great way of turning phrases and challenging people. Vance Havner said, the church today wants to do everything but repent. We say we love Jesus. We bear his name. We even say we follow him. And yet the one thing that he calls us to do is the one thing that would keep us walking in the Spirit, is the one thing which would keep us sensitive to His leadership, and yet it is the one thing we seem to neglect. We think about this awakening up here. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote. He wrote, first of all, to the Corinthians in one of those early, early letters, and he wrote, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. He was speaking to a church. Later he wrote to the Romans, and uh, it's on our uh, um, publicity for our awakening weekend. He says, it is now time, it is high time, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, it is high time for us to wake from our sleep or our slumber. And then later he wrote to the Ephesians from that jail cell. He said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead. Now you know that the dead in the Bible is rise up from your sleep. And the Messiah, don't you like this? Think about this. And the Messiah will shine on you. If we awake from our sleep, the Messiah will shine on you. I kind of like the sound of that. Because you see, if the Messiah shines on us and shines in us, then the Messiah is going to shine through us. We are called by God's Word, in God's Word, and through God's word to repent of our sin and awaken to his spirit. To awaken to his will. To awaken to his way. But as I've already said and as Vance Havner said, we don't seem to want to do that. Let's be honest. It's difficult. It's hard. You know, the truth is, if we face it... <laughs> We're so filled up with pride that we can't, we can't repent of anything. I mean, to humble ourselves before God 
runs against our tradition, runs against our training, runs against our upbringing, and runs against our nature. And yet the Bible repeatedly repeatedly calls us to repent, to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And do you know why? Because God still resists the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Did you get that? God still resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So the question tonight is, what is the word that God has for us when we neglect to repent? When we neglect to humble ourselves before Him? When we neglect to be renewed and refreshed and restored and revived? What is it? What is the word? Luke 13, verse number 5. One verse. Jesus says this, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's pray. Father, there are some messages that, as preachers, we prefer not to preach. And yet I feel compelled with your word tonight. Lord, I pray you'll keep that compelling on my, in my mind and on my heart that we can see you, that we can gain a clear vision of you so that you can reveal to us who you are and who we are so that the reality of who we are will set in and so we can come to this thing where we repent before you, where you reawaken us. In your name, amen. Last week we heard a message from from Brother Michael Catt, Sherwood Baptist Church. And I didn't say much about it, but we kind of dropped in to that message. Those who were here, they had already had 40 minutes of worship and praise when Michael took the platform to preach. Mike began with some words like this. This is one of the most difficult messages that I've ever had to preach. Tonight, I began right where Brother Mike, because he, if you remember, he preached part of this Luke 13 passage. You see, the truth is, the words of, the words of Brother Mike last week cut to our heart because the words of Jesus cut to our heart because the words of Jesus are indeed clear and concise and cutting. They cut to the heart of the matter and expose us for like we are. They're concise because he really doesn't mince words, and they are clear because he leaves us no wiggle room for what he wants us to do. His message is clear, and when we read 13.5, his message is clear. We talked about it this morning. Repent or else, and it is that or else that we are concerned about right now. I've made this... Real plain for the last three services, Wednesday, Sunday morning, this morning. As your pastor, I feel compelled in my spirit to call us to a time of spiritual awakening. The next four weeks, we're going to seek God for a spiritual awakening in our hearts and our lives. We've already begun with the the prayer time, and some people in this congregation 
have accepted the challenge. They have already spent two weeks seeking God. And I begin to hear testimonies. And I will just tell you this. We have not put the schedule out yet, but on Saturday morning, February the 2nd, we're going to have a testimony service right here where you can share some things that God has spoken to you during that time. You see, the truth is, folks, we have begun this process of praying for God to do something fresh, something new in our hearts and our lives so that, as that Scripture said, the Messiah can shine in our lives and shine through our lives. There are some that's taken that challenge. Sadly, there are others who said, I don't think so. I'm good enough. I don't think we ought to go overboard with this religion stuff. I've done this for 30 or 40 years, and I'm going to keep doing it. And it is to those of us who have, shall we say, reservations, that's who these messages are for. Because, you see, I don't believe God has given us the option to remain cold and listless and lifeless. I've entitled this, Aiming at an awakening, the entire series. Because you know what? If you aim at nothing, you'll get it every you'll hit it every time. But if you aim at a bullseye, perhaps you'll hit the target. You see, and the target is a spiritual awakening. Tonight I call this the neglect of an awakening. And I'm gonna tell you why I feel so compelled to this message. Personally, I'm afraid. Personally, I'm afraid of missing God's best. As your pastor, I'm afraid collectively. You see, our Lord has given us a task. And that task is not to sleep on the job. We have an assignment from our master. We're to let our lights shine so that others may see him. There are some within our congregation that says, Brother Jerry, if our church is going to do anything, the preacher's got to do it. That's certainly not from this book. If we're asleep spiritually, we can't tell anyone anything with any degree of effectiveness. I mean, have you ever tried to talk to somebody who's asleep? Have you ever awakened in the night and your mate been talking in their sleep? Have you ever tried to engage them in a conversation and pretty soon you go, what in the world are you talking about? Because all they're connected to is their sleep. They're not really connected to reality. So how can we talk to someone about spiritual things if we're asleep spiritually? You get what I'm saying? The Bible helps us. The Bible helps us because it gives us illustrations about this thing of neglecting, how it comes about, some illustrations that will help us understand how we're misfocused, and then moves to some applications that ends with an invitation. That's basically the outline we're going to see tonight. I want to begin with some illustrations that the Scripture gives about this thing of neglecting misplaced priorities in our lives. Now, if you have your Bibles open to 
chapter 13. Let's just back up a little bit. I find four illustrations here about people who put more emphasis on the world, had fell asleep spiritually, and so they were ineffective. If you go back to verse 54, you find the first illustration that I will call a meteorological illustration. It's a weather illustration. Verse 54, chapter 12, it says, Jesus said to the crowd, that's not on the screen, it's going to be in your Bible, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when you see a, a south wind blowing, you, can say, you say it's going to be a scorcher, and it is. Now here's what he's saying. He is saying you are so tuned into the world that when you see the wind blowing, or when you feel the wind blowing, or when you see the cloud rising, you can say this is going to happen in this world because you're so connected to this world. But then he goes on and he says, hypocrites, verse 56, you don't know how to interpret the, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this time? And his question is this. If you know all of the things about this physical world, why can't you get your hands on the spiritual condition of this society? And the implication is that it is because you're asleep. You can't interpret the time spiritually because you're spending so much time on this physical world. It's the meteorological uh, explanation to say you're really connected to this world. But he doesn't just stop with the weather. Then he moves, verse 57, to the judicial, to the legal, if you will. Number two, judicial or legal. He says in verse 57, he picks it up, he says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, that should be to the judge, make an effort to settle with him on the way. You know, you're going to get a better deal if you settle outside of court than your adversary. He won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you in the prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid your last cent. He says, if you refuse to humble yourself and you refuse to let your pride down, here's what you can count on. The worst is yet to come. If you go to court, you're going to get a worse deal than if you try to do what's right before you get there. The Bible says, you'll hear this again, one day every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess to the glory of God. That means you're going to bow now or you're going to bow later. You're going to be without your pride now. You're going to be without your pride later. And I will just say this to all of us. When we're forced to bow to God, it will not be a pleasant experience. The illustration is about neglecting. It goes on further than that. Are you with me? Hang on. Then we go to chapter 13, verse 1. We get to the governmental. I could call this contemporary, but number three, we get to the governmental. It says, at that time, people, some people came and reported to him, to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. Now Jesus takes on the framework of a contemporary story. It seems, so the story goes, probably newsworthy story, that people were worshiping, they were offering sacrifices to God, the government officials came in, slaughtered them, there was blood all around the worship place, and he, and they said, look, look, blood... Are, are you worse than uh, than the people who got sacrificed at the altar? Can you understand what that's talking about? And hang on. And immediately, 
Jesus went, look what he did. Jesus said, do you think those Galileans were more sinful than all the Galileans because they suffered these things? And I tell you, and then look at verse 4. Or how about those? He stand with newsworthy issues, contemporary issues. This is an agricultural illustration. Are those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed? Here's his question. Here's the question. For the architectural, he said, now, he puts the governmental architectural together, and he says, do you think these folks were more sinful than all the people who live in Jerusalem? You see, he is building a case legally for illustrations to say some things to us. He is saying these things illustrate a deep spiritual truth. And he ends and he says, do you think these folks who died at the altar or that the tower fell on, do you think that they were more sinful than everybody else? Do you think they deserved what they might have gotten? You see, Jesus seems to be answering this question, why bad things happen to good people. He is saying, we live in a fallen world. Some things will happen. He said, you might think those bad things happened because those folks were worse off than you, worse sinners than you. But let me tell you the truth. You don't repent the same thing can happen to you. You don't repent. You neglect to repent. The same thing can be happening to you. And, and you know what, folks? It illustrates the fact that when we refuse to repent, that when we choose to do things our way, there are a lot of ways for God to bring His judgment and wrath on us. Now, by the way, since we're right there, You know what the next verse is? The next verses are in chapter 13. It's the verses about the fig tree that Michael spoke about last week. If you were not here last week, we learned about a new sin last week. The sin of taking up space. He talked about that fig tree and and how the owner saw the fig tree. It hadn't produced figs. And he said to the vine dresser, he said, cut it down. And the vine dresser said, give me one more year. Let me plow it up. Let me work it. Let me get it ready. Let me, let me, let's see one more year. And then if we don't cut it down, if we don't have fruit one more year, let's cut it down. You see, folks, of all the sin in the Bible, are you with me? Are you listening? Of all the sin in the Bible that God and our Lord Jesus is going to judge, they reserve their harshest judgment for non-fruit-bearing trees. You see, here's why we need to awaken, because we are called to produce fruit. And you think, Brother Jerry, boy, this is a tough message. Well, it only gets tougher as we move from the illustrations that we find in Luke till we move to the applications. Applications, and for that, turn to Revelation Chapter 2 and 3, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, it's page 1040. Chapter 2 and 3. And I want to say this to us. If you think that the illustrations that he is, when he is saying you're too connected to the world, you're too asleep to spiritual things, and so my judgment is there, when we get to these applications, 
there are some very drastic and personal applications that we need to come to face with. I don't know if I don't know if this rung with you last week. I don't ask who was here, who wasn't. But the words from Michael Catt last week rung deep in my heart. I mean, think about it. Jesus said, if it's not going to produce fruit, cut it down. And then Michael offered this. Are you listening? What if you had only one more year? What if God has looked at your life and said, okay, you got one more year? What if he has looked at this church and he said, you have one more opportunity? What if he has looked at our culture in this place and he says, you got one more opportunity, one more chance, one more possibility to please the master and gain a well done? I'll give you something pretty interesting. Don't on me this week. I feel required to tell you that when we get to facing our Lord, we only have two possible answers from our Lord. It seems the only two I can find is well done, now good and faithful service, servant, enter into the joy of my life, and, or depart from me. Those are the two. I mean, in the ones that he said, depart from me, they said, hey, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we do some good things? He said, depart from me. I never knew you. It seems to me that there are only two possible responses we're going to get from him because in this book I cannot find, well, you didn't do so good, Teddy, but come on in. You got by by the skin, you got in by the skin of your teeth. Now watch the progression. While we're in this mindset, watch the progression of what happens in, with this thing of uh, not repenting, not being awakening. We're majoring on this repenting because before we can be awakened, we have to repent. He calls us to repent. Now watch this. If you got to, if you got to uh, chapter 2 of Revelation, look down in verse 5, the letter to Ephesus. He says, remember then, church, how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first, that's when you got saved. Otherwise, here comes the or else, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, it hadn't been but about 18 months ago, 20 months ago, that we worked, as we were working our way through Revelation, that we talked about this. And in context, we know that that lampstand in every church is the pastor of the church. He says, I will remove that lampstand. I got good sense enough to know in the 21st century in America, that's no big deal. Pastors are a dime a dozen. Get rid of the guy. He don't please us anyway. It's all right. But here's what I'm going to tell you. There is so much more to it than that. When he removes that lampstand, that pastor, the implication is that he is going to remove the light of the gospel from that church. And when he removes that light of the gospel, can you imagine how the church is left? Can you imagine that's why all the massive cathedrals over in Europe exist? Because he removed the lampstand. He removed the light of the gospel. Can you imagine the implications of him doing that? The church refuses to repent. They refuse to awaken. They refuse to allow him to take over. And so what you know what he does? He refuses to let the church bring shame to his name. Now if that doesn't sufficiently frighten us, 
He only raises the bar. This is what he says to Ephesus. Look on down to, in, uh, um, to the church at Pergamum. Look down at verse 16. This is the, this is the church where uh, um, Satan's throne is. And he says, therefore repent. Otherwise, I will come quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Not only does he say, I'll remove, then he comes back and he says, huh, I'm not just going to take my word. I'm now going to oppose you. I will fight against you. I mean, of all the words that are spoken here, these words of Jesus grab me at my heart. I mean, it's one thing to think that he pulls everything out, but it's another thing to think that every time you try to do something, Jesus is opposing us because we've refused to repent. Just when you think the bar can't get any higher, he raises it higher. Can we do, do, we can run around that for a while, but to ease your pain, can we go? Can we move on further? Look down in verse twenty-one through twenty-three at the church of Thyatira. This is a church that has Jezebel, and they and and they have tolerated her. They have tolerated sexual immorality. They have tolerated sin in their church. They won't repent. And watch this, verse twenty-one. I gave her. Jezebel, time to repent. But she did not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Let's pause. You do understand that we serve a jealous God. You do understand. He says, I have no other God before me. You do understand that when you and I chase other gods, that it is equivalent to spiritual sexual immorality against God himself. He said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but this is what I'm going to do since she won't repent. Verse 22, I will throw her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. You see, folks, he throws. He says, I'll throw you into the crowd. There are enough people who are, who are standing against me. I will throw you into the crowd. You know who's in that crowd? All those folks who are committing sexual immorality, who are chasing other gods. You see, when we choose to forget God, we choose to forget the one who is the lover of our souls. When I read this text, when I read about God just tossing us away, you see up here? I will remove my lampstand. I will remove the light of my gospel. I will fight against you if you refuse to repent, and I will throw you. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, three times for those who have the King James Version of the Bible, it says, God gave up. The Bible tells us that, that the Lord will not strive with us forever. Years ago, I preached a message entitled, The Day God Gave Up. He'll give us up. There's a time when he will wring his hands and shake the dust off his feet and he will give us over to a mind of sin, over to a mind of lust, over to a mind of fleshly thinking. And you go, Brother Jerry, this is a tough God. Listen, I didn't make him up. This is his word. He says, repent or else. And then he takes it to one more level. Look in verse, uh, look in chapter 3, verse 3, the church in Sardis. He says, remember therefore what you have received. Can you think about all the good things we've received in this life? Think about all the blessings. 
Think about all the, the things that you have seen and heard and keep it and repent. But if you're not alert or awake, I will come like a thief. He says, if you don't wake up and obey me, if you don't wake up and repent, if you don't wake up and cast aside your, your pride, what I'm going to do to the crowd that remains, I'm going to come like a thief. I was praying about this. And I just, this was my thought. may not be the theological answer or the doctrinal answer, but I've watched it happen so many times. When a church refuses to repent, God begins to withdraw. God begins to fight against. God begins to throw them to the crowd. Now maybe they got a big crowd because they're so lacking in consecration and repentance. Maybe they got a big crowd. And then you see, one by one, those people who really want to see God work in their lives, want to see work in their lifetime, want to see God work in their church, one by one, God begins to come in like a thief and they begin to go someplace else. You see, what we forget is Jesus' is main, his main thrust is to bring glory to God, not popularity to man. The Westminster, Westminster uh, Confession years ago said, the chief end of man is to bring glory to God. And he will settle for nothing less. That's not the final word there. Because we can remain here in Revelation. And we can move, as we move from the illustrations to the applications. Let's end with the invitation. With all this bad stuff said, our Lord still invites us. He invites us to repent. He invites us to get right. He invites us not to just focus on the world, but to focus on Him. Not to focus on the things of the flesh, but to focus on things of the Spirit. You see, this is the desire of Jesus. That we, that we take our opportunity to come to him. You find that in chapter 3. He wrote, the, he wrote, he saved that last church, that lukewarm church, the church that made him sick on his stomach and as the, as the word says, made him want to throw up. He didn't say repent or else. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Watch this. So be committed and repent. His word is still repent. And then he says, King James, behold, I'm going to make it as easy for you as I can. Repentance is never easy. But I'm going to make it as easy as I can because here's what I'm going to do, Jesus said. I'm going to stand at the door. And I'm going to knock. And all you have to do is open the door. And I will come in and I will fellowship with you. I will sup with you. I will forgive you. And we can have 
we can have restored relationship. I don't have to fight against you. I don't have to withdraw my, my, the light of my word. Last week, I sat down at the piano. Those who were here Wednesday night heard it. Just kind of made it my prayer. Reawaken me so that I could see everything you want me to be. Take my sin away. Fill my heart today. prayer today have you been asleep long enough is it possible that we as a church one heart one person at a time could be ready for God to come in and do the work of shaking us couldn't we open the door so he could come in and he could shake our shoulders and say wake up and we not have so much pride that we do wake up and repent before Him. Not to the preacher. I get the feeling when I preach these messages that I want everybody to come down and confess your sins to me. Wrong. Quite honestly, I have enough trouble with my own sin. I don't need yours. You got what I'm telling you? But it's time for us to not neglect the awakening, to not neglect the repentance. Seems to me that Jesus is serious about you and me repenting, doing things his way, finding his will. So I ask you, what do you need to repent of? Is it vain words? Now, vain words are empty words. They could be vulgarities, they could be hurtful words, they could be harsh words, they could be unchristian words, they could be words of judgment. Could it be inconsistent commitment to Him? I'm going to go out on a limb and just tell you, you're here on Sunday night, so you know I'm preaching to the choir, is that it seems around this place that, we, that, that our commitment is whenever it's comfortable and convenient. Could it be our selfishness, self-centeredness? Could it be, as I mentioned this morning, stealing from him the money that's his? Or could it be something that's very personal and private in your life? It can be personal and private and nobody else can know, but he does. Jesus says, I know your works. The question is tonight. Now that we know, now that we've heard his word, what will we do? Let's pray.